Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. We decided for this episode to revisit the foundational idea of the podcast, that being codependency. When we started the podcast months ago now, we had a certain idea of what that word meant, but we've learned quite a bit since then from doing the podcast and talking with each other, reading more about it, and also hearing from people who have listened about their experiences. Yeah, we, we got some really good questions and feedback that kind of sent us in some more nuanced directions. And and then these episodes that we've done this season where we've zeroed in on individual topics have, have kind of added some additional details. So we wanted to go back and relook at the way that we talked about codependency in that first episode and think through whether we want to make any modifications or updates to that definition. Yeah, and it's it's helpful to just kind of remind ourselves exactly what it means to begin with because <laughs> sometimes you get lost in the terminology and absolutely it's like it, when you're trying to work on something it's like oh wait i need to remember exactly what it is i'm supposed to be looking for here so to go back to the beginning initially it was a way to understand people who seem to become addicted or kind of dependent on caretaking on trying to fix their partner as kind of maybe a sense of purpose or an identity um so with you know say an alcoholic and then the codependent person becomes sort of addicted to helping kind of chronically helping this addicted person right so it came out like we said in that very first episode it came out of addiction literature specifically in relation to alcoholics mm -hmm. where you had alcoholics are dependent on alcohol and then the person the codependent is almost dependent on their partner being dependent on alcohol. Yeah, right. It's like this unbreakable cycle almost. I mean, one thing that I don't really like about that definition, and I also don't like about the word, yeah. is it kind of defines the codependent, the, that person's experience solely in relation to this other mm -hmm. disordered person. Right, it's not putting a lot of focus on okay, but why? Why are they that way? Why, yeah, it's almost like the, the alcoholism and the the other person is more important. <laughs> yeah, right. Than fleshing out the codependence experience, mm -hmm. much like when you were reading about narcissism, people would talk about uh, the people who were in a relationship with a narcissist as being a kind of co-narcissist, mm -hmm. right? And it it does kind of capture what's happening with these people in, in that you would kind of mirror or subsume yourself. Mm-hmm under the other person's experience. So yeah, if they were alcoholic, then that became the most important thing in your life as well. If they're a narcissist, that became the most important thing in your life. Yeah. But, but again, we're not interested in the narcissist or the alcoholics, ultimately. Ultimately, when mm -hmm. we want to understand the codependent person's experience and put that front and center in the discussion. Right. Yes. I mean, that's, that's going to be the only way you're actually going to start to heal is to figure out what's going on with me, not you know, with these other people, mm -hmm. <laughs> necessarily. It's understanding those relationships is important. But yeah, ultimately, it's like, what is causing me to behave this way? Mm -hmm. So the definition that we used in episode one, mm -hmm. you want to read that again? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, codependency is an imbalanced relationship pattern where one person assumes responsibility for meeting another person's needs to the exclusion of acknowledging their own needs or feelings. Yeah, and looking back on that, I'm not too fond of that definition now, yeah, either yeah, for the same reason. Short. Yeah, because it's just about defining the codependent experience 
in relation to other people mm -hmm. when there's it's a lot richer than that yeah and it doesn't really say anything about the habitual nature of it and you know or, or where it came from where it came or, from or, or, right or, so let's try for another kind of definition mm -hmm. centered around codependency being a set of behaviors developed to cope with the chronic toxic stress that comes from feeling powerless so that powerless feeling could have emerged from a chaotic childhood, an abusive childhood, a childhood where there was neglect, you know, essentially a childhood, which is a time when you are supposed to be protected and to be made to feel safe. Right. <laughs> so you can grow and develop a childhood in which you were made to feel the opposite. Yes. That seems to be a common thread, mm -hmm. a childhood in which you were made to take responsibility for another person's or people's feelings and needs and were taught either directly or indirectly that your own needs and feelings were not important and maybe even dangerous. And it's extra powerful when this happens in childhood because it, the, the child doesn't have a frame of reference yet. Mm -hmm. The person's learning this stuff for the first time, learning that this is how I need to behave. This is how I need to behave to be safe, mm -hmm. to be cared for, to be loved. I have to adopt these set of behaviors to cope with this feeling of powerlessness. So then you wind up with these behaviors like the people-pleasing we've talked about, the caretaking, emotional suppression as a result of feeling powerless, compliance and deference to others. And then my only access to power is to defer to other people's power rather than feeling my own. And then my only ac access to safety is to make other people feel safe and comfortable. These, so the set of behaviors are those behaviors that you listed that make up this phenomena of codependency. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that you are dependent on other people, that came about because you were made to feel <laughs> dependent on other people. Yeah. Instead of a childhood in which you're cared for and empowered to become the type of person that you want to be, you were encouraged to feel powerless Right. That's what violence does. That's what abuse does. That's what ne neglect does. Mm -hmm. You were encouraged to feel powerless and to feel that the only access you had to safety and care and love and power was to people please, caretake, suppress your own emotions, comply with mm -hmm. the people around you, defer to the people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then as I grew up, these behaviors then become habitual and reflexive. And so they may have kept me safe when I was a child because I had no other choice kind of. It's just mm -hmm. like this person, like the friend we're talking about, yeah. or my father just forcing me into this position. But then once it becomes ingrained and now it's reflexive, I just carry that forward. And then all my future interpersonal relationships, I'm just behaving the same way. And then it just becomes this second nature way of behaving. And we've said this before, none of these behaviors are inherently bad. Yeah, sure. The instinct to care for each other, to please each other, even... Be responsive to other people's emotions. Be responsive to other people's emotions, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's deeply ingrained. Those are natural human emotions. In fact, if, if you don't have them, then you're a psychopath yes, or a sociopath. Right. I mean, we talked about your abusive friend, G, G yeah. as potentially being some version of a psychopath yeah, or sociopath. Yeah, seem to have no empathy at all. Right. right. Yeah. So, yay. I mean, it's important <laughs> to be that emotionally connect, emotionally responsive person but what happened for you, and I think for many, is they get hijacked in the service of keeping yourself safe when you were powerless as a child. And that is not what they were designed for. And we've said this before, these emotions seem to be about binding us together, helping us make and maintain intimate human connection. Yeah. 
And as you became an adult and these behaviors just became habitual and dominant in every relationship, they do the opposite. They mm -hmm. don't help you find and maintain intimate human connections. Mm -hmm. They don't even keep you safe. Yeah. In fact, they attract unsafe people and you get stuck in unsafe relationships. Yeah. I mean, they attract as in maybe not, you know, I have to meet the person first, obviously. Yes. But then it's like, wow, this person really makes me feel comfortable when the, the, when this person that I'm attracting mm -hmm. doesn't normally feel that. Because for whatever reason, maybe their personality is kind of off-putting to the average person. But yeah, someone with codependent ten tendencies, that's reflectively making everyone feel comfortable. Right. Oops. Yeah. So then, then these relationships somehow replay that childhood. Yeah. Those childhood relationships. But given that, as we're saying, these are natural human emotions and responses mm -hmm. to other people, we would expect everyone to do some version of the of those yeah exactly. the caretaking the people pleasing the the compliance the deference right because kind of like we talk about in every episode here there's always the healthy versions of of all of this stuff um that we're talking about here code these codependent behaviors and also codependency itself there seems to be a very wide spectrum yes so we were going to kind of talk about that spectrum a little bit to see if people could recognize maybe where they fall mm -hmm. on that spectrum. Because we hear a lot of people being concerned about whether the emotions that they're having are quote-unquote healthy or natural or if they're codependent, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. if I do this, is that codependency right. or is that something that's appropriate to do? And it, it, it can be difficult because it, it, is a, it is a spectrum. Yeah. So on the low end of this, the spectrum, I think we both know Quite a few people who kind of exist on that. Yeah, that just that have some of the behaviors and, and they're not very severe. Yeah, so we'll see the over-apologizers. Mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of people who over-apologize. Yep. Conflict, avoidance. Yeah, kind of like peacekeeping. Peacekeeping, right, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then kind of the people-pleasing. You can see that even in, in people who maybe aren't on the severe spectrum. Yeah, but there's a lot of different brands of that. Again, mm -hmm. there's like spectrums of each of these behaviors even. Yeah, too, right. You know? And the people-pleasers often have kind of wide circle of friends, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but maybe not very close friends. Because sure. as we talked about, the ways that people-pleasing can interrupt intimacy and real connection. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know, so... we. We know some people that have all those behaviors, or some of them, you know, they're conflict-avoiding, they tend to over-apologize, they tend mm -hmm. to maybe do too much people-pleasing, and they have difficulty standing up for themselves, perhaps. But yeah. it doesn't seem to interfere severely with their ability to form and maintain healthy friendships yeah. and relationships. Even though they exhibit some of these behaviors when, when they gather a few of the wrong people, they do have several healthy relationships. And these behaviors might not come out at all, really, in those healthy relationships. Or not enough that it... It, it, it affects anything. It, it if severely limits their ability to connect with their partner or with their friends. Although, mm -hmm. you know, when I think about, again, people in my life that I, that I see some of these behaviors with, it does seem that they, in addition to having healthy relationships and, and friendships, they also seem always to have one or two people in their life where I'm kind of like, why are you friends with that person? Yeah. Right. Like that person seems unpleasant and not very nice. And I think that's a sign too of being on the codependency spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have people in your life that you make excuses for. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and I've 
heard those excuses from friends and people in my life when I've questioned their friendship or, or their relationship with a particular person. And it often sounds like things like, oh, well, she or he has been a good friend to me for a long time. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, she or he helped me out this when I was going through my divorce or when this was happening mm -hmm. or helped me move. And in fact, I had one friend who literally said to me about this friendship in his life, oh, she isn't always a bitch to me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a sign, again, of being on the low end of this codependency spectrum if you have people in your life that you make excuses for. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have anyone in my life that treats me badly, even not occasionally. Um, not to say that no one's ever said anything hurtful or that I've never to a friend, made a mistake or a misstep and said something hurtful or flaked on their birthday or, or something. I mean, occasionally right. people make mistakes. But that's not what we're talking about. With we're not talking about occasional missteps that mm -hmm. are then apologized for or right. recognized yeah. and repair is made. We're talking about fairly regularly a friend who, who kind of treats you badly, is, mm -hmm. is rude, is dismissive. Selfish. Uh, is selfish, flakes. Yeah. Which is not to say they're always that way, because as we know, I mean, especially say narcissists, yeah. it's very, it's very intermittent. It's deliberately intermittent. Yes. So yeah, one, one weekend they're helping you move and being the best friend you've ever had. And then, then <laughs> two mm -hmm. weeks later, they're throwing you under the bus, throwing you under the bus for some yeah. reason. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then you're, then you're like, Oh, but they helped me move. They're, yeah, you know, they're, right. It's like, no, like that right. doesn't, I, I think. For a lot of people, that doesn't have, they don't have people in their life that treat them badly. Then we're probably actually moving to the middle of the spectrum. Yeah. When you look at just those particular relationships. When you start to have more people in your life who treat you badly mm -hmm. than you do who treat you well. Because I think that's kind of what happens over time is that the more you tolerate from the people in your life, the more those type of people crowd out. Mm -hmm. and take space away from the healthier friendships that you could be forming. Right. And one of the big behaviors that go with codependency is a lack of boundaries mm -hmm. it's because it's too scary, really, to, and, and you feel too powerless or don't have enough agency of your own to have boundaries. So, yeah, the more of these people you get in your life, the more difficult it is to get rid of them. Now you're making more excuses. Now you're exercising the behaviors more and they're becoming even more ingrained. More habitual, right? More yeah. habitual, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah, right. That's when the habits really are interfering with you forming and maintaining healthy relationships and friendship. Even relationships with otherwise kind of healthy people or, or maybe unhealthy but not abusive people can still be problematic because of these reflexive behaviors. You're speaking now about your, your long-term friendship. Yeah, we talked about when we were in the relationships episode, I, I forget, this season or maybe last season, um, about how I had this friendship for a really long time where we were both were disordered people, mm -hmm. um, but neither one of us were abusive. Um, so it was comfortable. It was safe. We had good conversations. We had a, kind of an otherwise good relationship, but there were these problems of codependency my, behaviors of mine that came out that wouldn't have come out in a healthy relationship. So an example that I think of is, is he struggled with his environment. Like he had a hard time adapting when we like would go out so in particular, like say we went to restaurants on the weekend, he had a hard time adapting to his environment. Um, he felt very uncomfortable. At least once or twice, every time we went to a restaurant, he had to move. That's a little uncomfortable to have to ask. You know, they, they seat you somewhere. I mean, right, every sure. restaurant yeah. has their own reasons mm -hmm. for seating you at a particular mm -hmm. table for mm -hmm. the servers or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
but he always wanted to move because it's just like he didn't like the view he didn't like there was somebody facing him or something that he felt uncomfortable that they were facing him or um so we'd do that and then also he would order food and then not like and he says i don't really like this i can't eat this and so i my behaviors would be to go okay well here do you like mine do you let's trade right. you know just i'm trying to to just to manage his, manage his emotions yeah, yeah right yeah. yeah oh yeah no problem let's move like sometimes we move two or three times yeah um tables and yeah so i'm just kind of just what so what, what do i need to do what, what can i do to help here so he's was clearly kind of struggling with some mental health issues, emotional yeah. health issues. Mm-hmm. And rather than helping him confront that, mm-hmm. you were almost enabling him to not confront right. the mental and emotional health issues. That right. It's like, doing. oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Here, just take my food. Like, right. we can we can get through this. We'll, we'll enjoy this this dinner. I'll just... And you read about and hear about people who are in a kind of friendship like that where mm. potentially maybe two people with codependency habits yeah and it it sounds like it's very isolating as it was for the two of you yeah because you do almost become dependent <laughs> on each other yeah kind of right i know neither it's of you of... neither of you particularly good at managing your emotions or kind of confronting the larger world and so you just kind of isolate within this small yeah i mean it's i don't know if that's necessarily codependency mm-hmm. directly but and i remember at the time we the two of us used that word as like, oh, maybe we're codependent. Good, just thinking that it meant that the two of us were dependent on each other, which isn't really a very accurate description of it, but it could be an element of it. it well, if it is, yeah. And, and so we're talking about a set of behaviors that developed to cope with this, a feeling of powerlessness. Uh-huh. And if you both had similar behaviors, you could end up reinforcing those habits in each other, which sounds like what was kind of what was happening. Yeah, so each of us individually didn't feel safe and and very powerful but mm-hmm. we kind of just propped each other up in a way just i'm doing my codependent behaviors to prop up his powerlessness and he's doing codependent behaviors to prop up my powerlessness and mm-hmm. all right between the two of us we're just in this suspended state of propping each other up preventing you from really kind of healing yeah. or growing or forming other right relationships and yeah because everyone else was unsafe still which is mm-hmm. kind of how i felt chronically already mm-hmm and so I think you see in that that middle section of the spectrum, isolation, in addition to the, the behaviors that we described on the low end, those behaviors are now causing much more damage in your life. And you see a lot of isolation, feelings of isolation, feelings of resentment and frustration, not knowing why you can't form healthy relationships or find people who will treat you well. Yeah, I mean... The only thing really that kept me safe during that period was that I didn't make myself available to anyone else. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> as I found when I once I did, I met and I got involved with the wrong people, then the codependent behaviors became ten times worse. So then, then we're moving into the severe yes. section of the of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So this is like fully activated now. So we've mentioned this before, and I really like thinking of we talk about trauma being at the source. It may not be the case for every person that exhibits codependent behaviors, especially on the lower end of the spectrum. But on my, in my case, and I think anyone that has severe codependent behaviors, it's going to f- come from trauma. Some kind of trauma, which again can be chaos, abuse, neglect. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this one. It doesn't have to be one incident or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be just chronic, mm-hmm. long, long-term trauma. And then the codependent behaviors 
are a trauma response. So when we talk about trauma responses, we're talking about you're kind of getting sent into this fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, this reactionary mode, and the codependent behaviors are what come out of that mode. Or the reaction, right? Yeah, the reaction. So I'm being directly attacked. I'm being actually abused physically or mentally or emotionally, and I'm, I'm freeze. I'm mm-hmm. in freeze. I can't deal with it. I, I'm just sitting there and taking it. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the in-between times, I'm anticipating abuse. And I'll so to- I'm fawning. I'm doing everything I can to try to avoid another situation like the previous time. What happened? What led to that? Okay, what do I need to do to avoid that? What do I, how do I, what do I need to say to this person? How, do, how can I make them feel extra comfortable, extra safe so that doesn't happen again? And then just keep doing that and doing that. And if you're with an abusive person, like a narcissist or something like that, it's just going to make it worse and worse and worse. They're going to keep taking advantage of it and you're stuck. Right. So if you're meshed with a toxic person at that Mm -hmm. point, you're in a state of almost constant trigger. Yeah. People use the term hypervigilance. You're either, as you're saying, kind of feeling attacked because you're being attacked (laughs) or anticipating trying to prepare for the next Yeah, attack. which is also triggering because mm-hmm. it's it, they're full of fear and, and shame too. Shame from the last time it happened and the fact that I'm putting up with this and things. So it's this big web of shame and fear. And if we're thinking about the analogy with alcoholism or drug addiction, the low end of the spectrum for codependency where you have some of these habits, but they're not interfering with your life. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're functional alcoholics. Yeah, yeah, kind of right, yeah. <laughs> but at the severe end where you're fully activated in a toxic relationship then it's just affects every aspect of your life yeah financial emotional sexual social yeah all of it is is being compromised every potential other relationship that Mm -hmm. could come along is going to be affected also so you're going to be you're bringing that other person into the chaos and when you're in that state fully activated you cannot heal no i was thinking the analogy it's kind of like the kitchen plumbing Mm-hmm. is broken and there's water pouring out all of the floor and all you do is constantly mop it up yeah and you so you never really get ahead right yeah right right just just and this this applies to so many different disorders and mm-hmm. diseases or whatever just treating the symptoms as opposed to right trying to get into the source getting to the source and, and actually healing so we talked about in the first episode of season two <laughs> Season two, focusing on the healing mm-hmm. that you did, that one of the foundational things you needed to do was to get out of actively abusive situations. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, that's that's step one, really. So that would be, in my analogy, akin to, you got to turn the water source off. Mm-hmm. Still water all over the floor. <laughs> yeah. But at least you have a chance now. Right. To figure out what is actually happening. Yeah. And, and this, obviously, easier said than done, you know? I mean, <laughs> really, like, also, like we said, though, other people are going to be key in that really hard to just do that in a void for one thing it's hard to admit to it uh, enough to even mm-hmm. just convince yourself that this is happening but other people are going to make that much easier and other people are going to help through the whole process yeah because they're going to come in and they're going to see the water pouring out of the pipes and you mopping the floor and be going why are you mopping the floor yeah like here do <laughs> the, you mind if i the, pro- just- <laughs> the problem is the water is coming out <laughs> yeah but when you're fully activated and all of those behaviors which are the mopping the floor behaviors too much of your bandwidth your intellectual bandwidth your emotional bandwidth your physical bandwidth Mm -hmm. is focused on heads down trying to 
address this one situation. Yeah, I can't see that pipe is broken over there. I just see this water. I mop it up. There's more water. Crap. But what am I going to do? I got to mop this up. So that's that's our little codependency spectrum. Yeah. Where codependency as a set of behaviors that arise in response to chronic toxic stress of feeling powerless. And then those behaviors, as you say, as you grew up, became habitual, almost second nature, as they do, I think, for a lot of people. Some of those people have managed to get the behaviors enough under control (laughs) that it doesn't do serious damage to their life. But then you move through a spectrum where Mm -hmm. it can become that it takes over your life. So if it's a set of habitual behaviors, one question a lot of people have is, what are the replacement behaviors? Well, first of all, that's important to to say is, is you need to have replacement behaviors. Yeah, you can't just go, okay, I'm going to I need to stop being codependent. Right. You know, so I'm going to stop people pleasing, or I'm going to stop caretaking. Mm -hmm. It needs to be replaced with a different version. Right. Just different behaviors. And also, like we said, there's nothing inherently wrong with these behaviors. There's nothing wrong with pleasing people. There's nothing wrong with taking care of people. And so you hear that question a lot from people, I think, who struggle with these habitual behaviors. If I do this for this person, am I being codependent? Uh Or am I being a nice person? Right. Am I being a good friend? They have difficulty kind of teasing out the difference. How do you address that? So, yeah, it's it's a, for me, it's all about becoming conscious of the motivations of these behaviors. So if I'm people pleasing, or let's say just I, let's say I'm doing something to please someone. What is the motivation of that? Just stop, look at my emotions, read my emotions, which is something that I didn't do. I didn't learn how to read my emotions. I ignored my emotions. I avoided my emotions. They were, they were unsafe. I mean, I, it's a matter of just going through your day and whenever I'm faced with any kind of interpersonal interaction mm-hmm. that gives me any kind of pause or any sort of emotion that I'm not understanding. In the past, it would be like I, if I have some kind of negative emotion, what I call bad emotions or something like, oh, this is making me feel anxious. My first impulse is to, I need to get out of feeling anxious, not figure out why I feel anxious. So I've already made mistake right from the get-go. So And now I'm behaving from trying to avoid this anxiety. And I've already taught myself how to do that. Well, just tell this person what they want to hear. Oh, they're asking me to do something. Just do it. I Even if I don't want to do it and I don't like this person or say this person's upset. Why are they upset? I don't care. They're just upset. I need to I need to make sure they're not upset. So I'm going to do whatever I can. But it's important to take that step back and take that pause. It doesn't have to be a long pause, but just enough of a pause to go, what am I actually feeling here? So, What's my responsibility here? Right. So if someone's expressing some anger at you, yeah. then the questions that you might ask yourself now would be... Well, the first question is, what do I think is the source of this anger? Why do I think this person is angry? Um, do I think it's justified or do I not think it's justified? And and if so, what what's my next step here? If I don't think it's justified, is is just walking away sufficient? Do I need to say something back? Do I need to get angry? Or maybe there is something I did or I said, and I need to now actually correct that, make an attempt to correct that. This person's anger is justified. I'm not going to just automatically appease. Every time I hear somebody angry, my initial response is, uh-oh, this person's angry. And like we were saying earlier, that's fine. That's fine to go, uh-oh, this person's angry because this is a sign that something bad is happening 
somehow that this person is reacting to with anger. So, but the replacement behavior is trying to actually f- assess what is actually happening. So self-reflection. Yeah. Self-reflection and, and just a big picture look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. Actually having empathy for that person, not just going, uh-oh, they have anger. I need to squash that anger somehow. So self-reflection, genuine empathy. Presence. Presence. Actually listening and understanding what, what they're saying. Yeah. And trying to process it rather than reacting. Yeah. Yeah. We- and and it, it, sound, it sounds simple, and I'm not trying to oversimplify it. It's not easy. To, to replace those behaviors because because st- the the first thing to happen is this internal feeling that I get this anxious feeling and I may always have that but then like we were saying everyone has that to some extent unless you're a psychopath or something you don't have empathy I think so too I mean when people get angry around me let mm-hmm. alone at me it makes me it can absolutely make me anxious yeah. Uh, when when I get the sense that I'm disappointing people, when people ask me to do something for them, and then I f- decide I have to say no, that's yeah. not a comfortable feeling. So part of it is also getting getting used to feeling that discomfort. Yeah, right. And deciding that that's not the most important emotion in the room at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like when we were talking about where I had to, this is also from like episode one or two of season two, where I had to get used to feeling shame. Mm -hmm. I just had to get used to feeling the things that I tried to avoid. Mm -hmm. So when these things happen that are are making me feel anxious because someone's exhibiting anger and my earlier reaction was to get out of feeling anxious as quickly as possible rather than assess the actual situation, what's going on and behavior coordinate accordingly which may only take 30 more seconds than my my older codependent style of you know get out of this get out of this tell this person to lie or something i need to diffuse this yeah and then what happens when when you're taking this pause too and 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 using self-reflection and getting in touch with how to set boundaries and and value myself enough to have those boundaries now all these new steps are in place and it took me a little while and it's still taking me a while to really install these because it can be difficult to know the difference between like uh oh am i am i reacting to this initial panic or am i going through these different behaviors so it's you know i'm just watching myself always just kind of and then that is going to become habitual mm-hmm. yep. and it will not take as much watching yeah, it won't take as much conscious like, uh-oh, am I being codependent here? Yes. And what I like about seeing codependency as a set of behaviors that emerges from chaos or abuse and neglect and then become habitual mm-hmm. in such a way that interferes with one's life and relationships is that habits can be broken. Yeah. Especially if you understand where they come from. Not easily, as you said, yeah. <laughs> as we know. Yeah. We all have bad habits. They're hard to break. Yeah. But they're not ingrained in who you are as a person. And there's strategies for breaking habits that can be applied to codependent habits or any other kind of habit. Yep. It takes motivation and, and self-love kind of to want to do that. Mm-hmm. If there are listeners who have figured out some strategies 
to break their codependent habits. We'd love to hear about those. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, or shoot us an email at uh, codependentmind at gmail.com. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. 